Happy Tuesday, everybody. I, I don't know if you can say Happy Tuesday. I don't know if Tuesdays are too happy, but we're um, happy to have you here. That, that's what we're going to say. It's not, a, it's not a bad Tuesday as far as Tuesdays go. I think this – it felt like a long weekend, at least for me. You know, last yeah. weekend, you know, Memorial Day weekend was kind of a dud. and This weekend, beach weather all weekend, so – uh, it was a very nice weekend. Now Alex is in the middle of a thunderstorm. So if you hear I, yeah, the rolling thunder is. in the background, yeah. you will understand. And if we lose Alex, then it's probably because the power went out. But we're going to try it anyway. Patriots Beat Podcast, Evan Lazar, alongside me as always, Alex Barth of 98.5. And Alex, uh, this is the first time that we've done the pod since Julio Jones was traded to the Tennessee Titans. So we're going to talk about that trade, the fallout of that trade, why the Patriots weren't more interested in Julio. Then we're going to get into some OTA preview type of stuff. Uh, Thursday's practice will be open to the media, so we'll be back out in Foxborough on Thursday, so we'll talk some Patriots OTAs, and then we'll take some questions at the end if we have some time there to kill uh, within the next hour. So let's start right off the top with just news in general of Julio Jones getting traded to the Titans. The Titans were the favorites or the heavy favorites, I would say, just in terms of what was being reported for quite some time. And there was those pictures of Julio training with Derrick Henry, Alabama guys. You know, there's a lot of things tying him to Tennessee. And it sounded like Tennessee the, was the, the A.J. Brown recruiting. Yeah, it was the most aggressive team, you know, to pursue Julio. Uh, but what was your initial reaction to the Julio trade to Tennessee? And how much do you worry about the Titans now in the AFC? Uh, a lot. And, and I, I think the Titans knocked it out of the park. I've said it before on this program. I think there's a real chance now that the Titans finish with the best record in the AFC. I don't think they're the best team, but when you factor in, you know, how new this offense is going to be and that element of it and the division they play in, I think they're a threat. And people will come at me and say that their defense sucked last year, and that's not an incorrect assessment. But I think their defense in some ways, I, I think they just had guys who had down seasons. I don't know that the unit they were last year accurately depicts the talent level, if that makes sense. I think just by, you know, natural, you know, moving back to the mean, they'll be good. So I saw somebody tweet when it happened, oh, man, that's, you know, it's such a disappointing ending. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, anticlimactic. Anticlimactic. Thank you. And it, these are always anticlimactic. When a major player gets moved like this, you know, don't screw around. The Titans had the most to gain by making this move, I think, more than the Patriots. They had the most to gain by making this move. They went out. They made it. They're a very good football team now. They're going to be a ton of fun to watch. And, yeah, they're they're a threat in the AFC. I think it's them in Kansas City as one and two. And then you probably have Buffalo uh, kind of right there with Baltimore is vying for that third spot. But the Titans are, are a real deal right now. They, they Not that they weren't before, but this takes it to another level. The Titans are going to test what we know about how to play defensive football just from a structural standpoint because they had Corey Davis, and Corey Davis is a good player, but he's not Julio Jones, right? right? And so when you came out to play the Titans, you could put extra guys in the box. You could play single high against them and rotate over the top and not be as concerned about the passing game. Now, the passing game in Tennessee was really prolific, especially off of play action, because of how good Derrick Henry is and because of how many resources need to be invested in stopping that running game. Now you really, if you're a defensive coordinator, when Bill Belichick and the Patriots prepare for the Titans, this season, they're going to have to think about, okay, do we play them single high or do we play too deep to keep two safeties deep over the top of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones and give up a body in the box to Derrick Henry? Or do we first and foremost stop the run, focus on that, and then worry about the passing game from there? 
typically Bill Belichick goes the route of let's stop the run, right? Because that's the easiest right. way to move the football is to just run the hand the ball off to Henry. But the problem is, is when you get into that sort of game, then the Titans shorten the game. Right. Then, then they end up having, uh, as I, Alex, I think your lights went out. I don't know if we lost Alex. We might have just lost Alex to, uh, a, a rolling thunderstorm through the, uh, outskirts of Boston here. So I'll try to carry the pod for a few minutes here and continue my thought and hopefully we'll get Alex back here in a second. But what I was saying about kind of rotating through single high structures versus two high structures is really important when we're starting to talk about the Tennessee Titans now. And as we've sort of seen the evolution of the NFL defenses, the NFL passing game, we have seen teams, defenses, specifically in terms of what we've seen from um teams like the Los Angeles Rams, for example, with uh, uh, Brandon Staley is get into more too deep type of stuff, which is a very common coverage in the college game, not so much in the pro game until now, where you're playing a lot of quarters on early downs or you're playing maybe some variations of cover two as well, but really a cover four quarters based structure scheme. And what that allows you to do is when you start at too high and now a lot of people uh, don't like to stay stagnant and they want to rotate as well. So when you start at too high, what you're doing is you are one short in the box, but you can rotate that safety down into the box as another run defender or as potentially somebody that's going to cut a crossing route or cut as something coming over the middle like a deep dig. Uh, we do have Alex back in the dark. I, I this love is gonna look going to look ridiculous. My, so my power's out. Um, I'm using the, the hotspot on my phone. I've got an old iPhone as the light, so I apologize that I, maybe we'll tell some ghost stories. Uh, <laughs> you know, some, some, maybe that's what we'll, you know, it's, it's June. We gotta come up with football content. Maybe some, uh, some scary football this. stories. This is but, really, uh, this is, this is what happens when technology <laughs> fails us and, uh, Mother Nature can still knock the power out. That's the one thing that, uh, but the Patriots V podcast, we don't stop rolling here on Patriot Speed, That's right? right. Alex, we we figure it out. I love this. This is this is great. I, I think I could said enough about defending the Titans and how it's going to be difficult to to well, cipher whether I, going... I had an interesting thought. One second, sure. I just want to make sure that this is going to stay up. Uh, I so you, you mentioned that it, it's what was the exact word? It's going to change the way we view playing defense. It's going to test the way we view playing defense. Um, whatever it is, I I think that. It's going to test the way teams build. It's going to test roster building as we know it because for the last 20 years, pretty much since the Patriots went on that one run with Brady and the Colts had their success with Manning, the idea was get the quarterback at all costs. And if your court, if you find the quarterback, whatever you put around him, you have around him and, and you'll still probably succeed. The Titans are the antithesis of that. Not that Ryan Tannehill's bad. I think he's been good since he got to Tennessee, but Defensive player of the year in Derrick Henry, arguably the best wide receiver in football in Julio Jones. A.J. Brown's another – am I stretching if I call him a top 10 receiver? I think he's yeah. certainly top 15. Um, you look at the offensive line they have. They have some superstars on the offensive line, right? Chief among them, Taylor Luan, of course. So, you know, where everything's been get the quarterback, get the quarterback, get the quarterback, and I've talked about this in the past as it relates to the Patriots, right, and using the 2019 49ers as that model, the net neutral quarterback, if you can put the talent around them. This is the most extreme example of that that we've seen thus far, right? So if the Titans succeed, I think you're going to see teams try to try to copy this model where, you know what, we're not going to go out and give up 
five first round picks to draft a quarterback that we don't know if he'll be good. We'll take the receiver. We'll take the tackle. We'll take the tight end. We know it's the sure thing because they'll hit. And then we just have to get a competent quarterback, which is much easier. So if the Titans go on a run here, I, I, I think you're going to see a new era of roster building come from that. It's a great point, and it's something that we've talked a lot about on the show, and we sort of compared it to Jimmy G, right, in San Francisco, and said they made the Super Bowl with Jimmy G at quarterback, attempting, what was it, eight passes or something like that in the NFC Championship game, yeah. and you don't fewest, need... Fewest in the modern era. Right, you don't need... Now, you need a great defense, you need a great supporting cast around all that, but you don't necessarily need Tom Brady, you don't need Peyton Manning, you don't need Joe Montana or John Elway or Dan Marino or whatever GOAT quarterback you want to use to make a deep playoff run and to contend in the NFL. What you do need is a great roster, and the Titans, Ryan Tannehill is a solid NFL quarterback, and I think he's better than maybe... Some people think, but he's still not going to the Hall of Fame, right? You know, he's, he's still Ryan Tannehill to some degree, and they have made him look like a really, really great quarterback by putting him in a really good position to succeed right, so and in a great system. It's the opposite of what everybody's been doing, right? You look at the Patriots, and it was, yeah, our receivers are Kembrell Tompkins and whatever's left of Austin Colley, right, and, and, and Tyquan Underwood and that, and the idea was – well, yeah, those guys aren't the best, but Brady will elevate them. And I think teams are start finally starting to realize, I just noticed the shadows of my hands on the wall behind <laughs> me. Um, real exaggerating. Uh, what teams are now starting to realize is that system works in reverse. And yeah, maybe Ryan Tannehill's not the best quarterback, but the pieces around him are going to make him better. And I think this is going to be really exciting if this catches on a really exciting error for the league because – the league being quarterback driven was certainly fun, but I think in some ways it hurts the overall game in that There's just know, not enough ri- good quarterbacks to have right. that be the case. And and you get you get you're limited with good teams in that you're kind of limited in who your superstars are too. When you start having the impact player in an offense not just be at one position, it's really going to open up different styles of play, different kinds of players. It's just going to make the game more well rounded. So it's something that that I think has the potential to be very exciting. Yeah, and it's going to be fascinating to see how defensive coordinators around the league sort of evolve because the Titans and Arthur Smith's now in Atlanta, obviously, but they're going to continue their system, right? They're going to continue running their scheme. Is still a very heavy outside zone, play-action heavy offense, similar to what we see in San Fran and with the Los Angeles Rams. And what we've seen across the league is sort of what I was talking about earlier. It was a lot more too high structures, so you can rotate those safeties to cut off those crossing routes and those deep crossers and then insert into the box to stop the run, but give that too high look. This is what the Patriots did in Super Bowl 53 against the Rams. They've done it in the past, the same sort of style against the Titans in the playoffs and in other instances. So I'm really fascinated to see how defensive football catches up to not only that scheme, certainly, but also just everything that this arms race, right? That all these things are just, everything's about accumulating as many weapons as possible it's going to be really interesting to see how these defenses sort of evolve to that. Were you surprised that the Patriots weren't more interested in Julio Jones? Because I reported, Jeff Howe reported, Peter King reported, a lot of people reporting at this point that the Pats sort of made a call early on in the process, recognized that the price point wasn't going to be where they wanted it to be, and sort of bowed out awfully quickly in this, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm not totally shocked. I think it's kind of how they handle free agency, right? It's, you know, 
everybody else is going to negotiate and everybody else is going to play their games, but we have our price and that's what it is. And, uh, you know, you either meet it or we move on and we can find somebody else. And I think that if the price was right, I, I don't think they were against acquiring Julio Jones. I feel like some people have tried to paint it that way. I don't think that they were, you know, totally against it. But I, given the contract and everything, I just think they had a certain amount they were willing to spend, and that amount was non-negotiable. And, and by the way, if you're just joining, my power's out, which is, this is why I look like this. It's actually – you're coming in through very, very clear for somebody. What are you, on a hotspot right now? I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone hotspot, so we'll see. I have full juice. My computer's at 88%, so we should be able to get through the show, hopefully. Um, knock on wood, but – it's just the shadows behind me are, you know. This is fascinating. Out of I know you're, you're mesmerizing <laughs> me with the shadows. Uh, oh, and there's the evil laugh too, on top of all of it. Now I need, I'm really. I need a cat. I, that's what I because this cha- this chair even spins too, so I can do like the oh my you know, right. the, okay. the Doctor Evil all thing. Right. All right, let's get back to football. You're, you're getting me dizzy now. So uh, the contract is really what it came down yeah. to with Julio Jones. Yeah. I think the Patriots and a couple of other teams that were interested in Jones were interested in Jones under the assumption that maybe they could do something with that contract, right? The Pats, quite frankly, did not want to pay Julio Jones $15 million in 2021. It's it's really that simple. It's They could have done the trade compensation. I think the trade compensation on top of the fact that you had to pay him 15 mil was a big part of it as well. But the second and the fourth round pick was not the deal breaker, right? The deal breaker right. was that it was a second and the fourth round pick and you had to pay the full 15 million. The Titans, uh, the Falcons weren't going to eat any of it and Julio wasn't going to rework the contract because he didn't have to, right? There was enough suitors out there, Tennessee being chief among them, that he didn't have to go out there and rip up his deal to make a trade happen or the Titans or the Falcons didn't have to give up uh, a lot in the trade, right? They didn't have to give right. uh, only take a sixth round pick or a fourth round pick back. There was legitimate interest in Julio, which is Obviously not shocking, but that was the the point was that the Patriots, like they did in free agency, if there was a market inefficiency, if they recognized, wow, we can really get this player because nobody else is bidding, we can really get this player for pennies on the dollar, then we're going to go out and make this move. But that isn't what ended up being the case. So uh, I think that's a big part of it is, is that the Patriots spent like that in free agency because they saw sort of an inefficiency in the market, right? That they were able to see, we have all this money, nobody else has any money, we can sign all these guys and nobody else can. But that's not the case with the Julio thing, is there was enough bidders, there was enough people that wanted Julio that they had to pay top dollar for him, and that just never was going to happen. So the other thing, just really quickly before we move on to OTAs, I know everybody wants to knee-jerk compare this to the Mohamed Sanu trade and say, well, they give up a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu, but they wouldn't give up the, the trade compensation for Julio Jones. It's not an apples to apples comparison. Like I, I understand that we want to make it into an apples to apples comparison, but it really isn't because at the time that that trade went down, it's t- it's about the timing, right? Get acquiring a player right. at a trade deadline, you're in a bidding war for that player. You need that player to fill an immediate need. It's a midseason trade, and it's a much different kind of buyer's market at that point than what we're looking at here. So I, I understand that. The Patriots' views of the wide receiver position, Nikhil Harry, uh, Nelson Aguilar for the price that they paid, not trading for Julio, but trading for Sanu with a second-round pick. 
these things look like the Patriots don't know what they're doing at wide receiver. And maybe that ends up being the case. But the main point that I wanted to make on the Julio thing was just let's let this all get out there. First, let's see what Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry and Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and all these guys look like together on a football field and in the game before we start saying the Patriots don't have enough weapons, right? We don't know if the Patriots don't have enough weapons just yet, and they have this plan, and Julio was not part of this plan at any point, and I think we should at least give them the benefit of the doubt to let's see if it works. You know, let's give it a chance before we start to say they they didn't do enough this offseason because they did spend a whole lot of money on pass catchers. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to be in bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Real-time, updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Well, that's what I've been saying, right? That's what I've been saying this whole time is that you you can't go by the two letters next to the player's name on the roster. It's just you're not looking at the whole picture that way, right? You have to look at how the tight ends are going to factor into the passing game. And just there's there's so many snaps. There's only so many snaps to go around for everybody. And if you add, you know, again, Julio Jones was different because he's such an elite talent. But now you have people saying, oh, well, they missed on Julio. They should go sign. Uh, Andy Isabella, uh, Golden Tate. Andy is Golden Tate was the one I was thinking of. Andy Isabella, yeah, Larry Fitzgerald, whoever. You know, right. are any of those guys monumental improvements over what they have? I don't know. And you're not adding them. Right. You're right. not, you're not putting Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar and Golden Tate out on the field a significant amount of the time. Because if you do that, then you're keeping one of your tight ends on the bench. And that's just not a return on your investment for the money you spent this offseason. So right. I, 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 I get it. It's an adjustment, but it's going to be a two wide receiver offense. Do they have the best two wide receivers in the league? No, certainly not. But I think the guys they have are, are one great fits for what they want to do. And, and, Fit can make a good player great, right? Or, or I know people say lack of fit can make a good player bad. I look at it the other way. If you have a player who's a really good fit in the system, it can truly elevate that player. I think they have a couple guys who can do that. And I think there's room to grow, too, I think, for Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers. So, again, just I, I trust the tight ends. I trust the tight ends. I, I'd rather go down with that ship than panic and give up a ton and sacrifice all this cap space for Julio Jones when you may not ultimately need him. Yeah, it's... That was the plan, right? This is the plan, and it's a viable plan on paper. It's not a plan that we have seen this succeed here before with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, and it's a plan that has worked in the NFL before. So let's let it fail before we start saying that the plan is no good because it's a legitimate plan on paper to make the receivers and the weapons around whoever is playing quarterback better than it was the last two years. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt for now. Let's talk some OTAs. Patriots uh, now third week of OTAs. We're getting into sort of the ramped up period. Devin McCourty, Matt Judon, uh, those two guys reported yesterday. 
So we're starting to see. I was actually really surprised, just a side note, I was actually really surprised to see Devin McCourty at uh, voluntary OTAs. As somebody yeah. that's so vocal in the uh, Players Association, it definitely felt like he was somebody that was going to hold out on principle along with the other players that have been sitting out uh, the non-mandatory portion of the offseason. So I was really surprised when I saw number 32 out there yesterday. I, I thought for sure he was going to be somebody that wasn't going to show up until minicamp. And it seems like they're kind of bringing these guys back now closer to minicamp. And I wonder if that was part of it. You know, it was, hey, you know, Devin, or if, even if it's a guy like Matt Judon, just, you know, this is when we're really ramping up. The first two weeks are for the new guys. So it, it definitely was good to, to, to see him and another other people. Kyle Van Noy, I know he was back last week, but a guy who missed the initial session coming back. Chase Winovich, who I think has a very, very big camp ahead of him, has now, it looks like, been back after missing that first session and been a regular. So, uh, I, I have no problem with guys easing themselves into OTAs as we saw last year. And this is the argument that players have made. They're not super necessary. You know, you can still have a good season without them. So I have no problem with some of these more veteran guys easing their way back in. And yeah, a guy like Devin showing up before he has to, I think is big. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about some of this quarterback stuff still. It's it's what's on everybody's mind. Cam Newton gets hurt. It opens the door, at least for Mac Jones. I guess we can say it opens the door for Jared Stidham as well. Well, he was but, he was the big performer on Friday, so. Yeah, we'll get to Stidham in a second, but well, what do you want to see out of Mac? And let, we can also include this with minicamp as well, because minicamp starts uh, Monday through Wednesday of next week, so we, we might not talk about it necessarily uh, before minicamp gets on way but what do you want to see from Mac on Thursday next week to sort of is there a chance like as we titled this show is there a chance that this injury for Cam Newton can actually expedite the Patriots to getting to Mac Jones faster yes and no Uh, I I think it can if they're willing to let it happen and this goes back to what I've been saying since before Cam resigned I don't know that Bill Belichick can quit Cam Newton I don't know that he can but if if they are open to the idea of it be like I, I'm working under the assumption that they're op- that they're not open to the idea of an open competition. That right. Cam's going to be the start of week one, regardless of what happens. That's already made that the mind's already made up. Unless Cam can't throw week one, and then it's a discussion. If they are, if it is a real competition, and Bill's willing to open his mind and let Mac potentially start, then this definitely opens the door because not only does it allow Mac mini camp time that Cam doesn't have. Mac's going to hit the ground running. He's been throwing. He's been working with these guys. Where Cam Newton, and, and granted, he's he's a veteran, so I don't know how much this affects him, but he's coming in cold a little bit. So it, it, there's maybe a little bit of a bend there where Mac's been able to build chemistry with these guys. Well, Sam, well, Cam is you know sitting in the training room icing his hand or whatever he's doing. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it that the Patriots so far have treated Mac Jones differently than the other quarterbacks out at OTAs so far. I mean, when we saw them last last week, Mac Jones was working – basically it had a different practice routine for the first 30, 45 minutes with Josh McDaniels where he's doing his own drills, right? He's doing his own own thing. And they are – I'm not going to – I don't know what the right word is for it, but they're certainly – emphasizing Mac Jones a lot more, especially Josh McDaniel's time, a lot more focused on Mac than we've I've ever seen with any quarterback really. I mean, besides maybe I I guess if you were around when Jimmy Garoppolo was was a rookie, you can speak to that more. We weren't, but with Jared Stidham when he came in, he was just another one of of the guys in line. 
right? You know, right. He, he was not somebody that was getting pulled to the side by McDaniels or was working on drills with McDaniels exclusively on a, in a different section where the rest of the offense was someplace else. So they clearly have a calculated plan in place for how they are going to handle this with Mac Jones to the point where they're doing it out at practice already where he's sort of doing his own thing at times. Right. So my gut tells me that if they're doing all these things, even already at OTAs and they have this detailed of a plan in mind, I kind of find it hard to believe that an injury to Cam Newton would take them off that track. Right. Because that risks, long-term side effects to Mac Jones, right? We saw in the past where you throw a quarterback, the, the one that everybody always goes to is David Carr, right? The, the, the Texans put David Carr in the game behind a terrible offensive line. He got killed and his whole career kind of went down the drain, right? The other one that you can kind of talk to is Josh Rosen, right? Who's another player that got thrown into the fire behind a bad O-line and the thing went south. Now the Patriots have a very good O-line. Mac Jones is going to be put in that position, but clearly what I'm getting at is that they have, whether it's this year or next year, I, I hope it's this year, they have a date in mind, I think already of when they would feel comfortable unless Mac really does something to, to expedite the process. They have a date in mind that he's going to get in there. And I just find it really hard to believe that now because Cam got a, a bone bruise on his thumb that he's going to miss a, a a couple of weeks that they're going to just throw that entire plan out the door because Mac looks good in, in shorts, right? At an right. OTA practice. It just, it, to me, this is bigger than, than Cam Newton's thumb, right? Is yeah, I guess I, what I'm getting at. Absolutely. And real quick, by the way, if you're just joining my powers out, which is why I'm sitting like this. I want to remind people because if yes. not, I look like a lunatic. I, I think it's funny with Cam, with, with Mac because the whole thing with Mac in the draft was, He's one of the most NFL-ready quarterbacks. Out did not be a top pick in a, in a long time. The only reason he really was a first-round pick, I think, was that he's a guy that could plug and play right away. You weren't drafting him that high for the upside. It was if you want to add your young quarterback and start the rebuild and really hit the ground rolling. Here's the guy, and now all of a sudden, the most NFL-ready quarterback prospect in years isn't NFL-ready enough for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. So. That's the irony in it, and I, I don't know if that's Mac Jones. I think that's more just, you know, they value experience so much at every position. That's what they do. I'm not knocking it, by the way. It's a big reason they are where they are. They understand that experience is valuable. Remember Tom Brady's comments about having the answers to the test. There's certainly some truth to that. I just think with Mac, for me, what it comes down to is what stood out to me about him in Alabama not necessarily were the plays he made, but the plays he didn't. You know, you just watched those games, and, and and you didn't really realize until after, but the kid just didn't make mistakes. Yeah. He, he, there weren't a ton of wow moments where you're like, wow, that's a great play, but you never said, wow, what a dumb play. Wow, what was he doing? Like, he was in command the full 60 minutes, all of that, and I think they like that. And it just comes down to how long it takes him to prove that he that, that will carry over to the NFL level that he won't make mistakes at the NFL level. Now, we saw at practice on Friday, after he had a great first session, there were some more rookie mistakes from him on Friday. So that's, you know, it's kind of interesting where if you flip the sessions, right, and Max so-so in the first session, and he's a great second session when Cam hurts his thumb, all of a sudden we're talking about Max making all this progress and it's destined Right. I don't want to say I don't want to say Mac took a step back. He was never going to hit that bar he hit the first practice. That that was ridiculous. But I, you know, I I think that's kind of what it comes down to is they're just going to wait until the mistakes I think 
dip below a certain threshold and then they'll feel good with him. Cause that's what it comes down to. The Patriots believe they can win games if they don't turn the ball over. That if you just hold on to the football and don't turn it over, everything else will take care of itself. And there is some truth to that. And they win seven that, and nine with a turnover machine at quarterback, quite frankly. So you could see it right. last year that if they have a couple of those games, Kansas City is obviously the biggest example, but if you have a couple of those games where the ball isn't getting turned over like crazy, they're going to be 10 and six last year, 11 and five, you know, have a much better record. Right. And you mentioned that Mac Jones is a quarterback. They, they, just want, that, they just want to know that Mac isn't going to turn the ball over. I think that's what it right. comes down to. And you mentioned that he's a quarterback that didn't, seldom made mistakes at Alabama. And I think a re- real reason why he didn't make mistakes at Alabama as much was because of the fact that he knew the system so well. And he had really mastered that Alabama playbook, and they had sort of mastered how to call plays for him with Steve Sarkeesian. And if you don't feel like Matt Jones in week one or week two, week three, is ready at that level to run the playbook, then he doesn't have the physical tools to make up for it, right? He's got to win with his brain and that that's the type of quarterback that he is and I think he's fully capable of doing that but he's got to be able to win, win a little bit with his brain and if they don't feel like he knows the system well enough and he's not there yet then it's not going to look pretty for him because he's not somebody like Josh Allen or like Patrick Mahomes or like Lamar Jackson who can just go out there and play on physical gifts right and, and just right look good on physical gifts. He's going to have to win with his brain. He's going to have to be the smartest guy in the huddle. Until we get to that point, I think playing him could could jeopardize his confidence, and I wouldn't do that. Now, I think Mac is somebody that's a little bit more resilient, a little bit tougher than someone that's just going to let a few bad games bury him, but I, I still don't want to put him out there in that position. What, what about – Jared Stidham, right? Do we care at all about talking about Jared Stidham? He had a great practice last week. There's no doubt about that. What What do you make of this? Because to me, the only way that I can foresee Jared Stidham actually starting games for the Patriots this year is if Cam Newton is injured and Mac Jones isn't ready. Right. And they just feel like let's bridge the gap with Stidham. It's similar to like what they had with Garoppolo in 2016, where maybe this could be a trade showcase. Right. Like maybe he actually plays well and we can actually get something beneficial out of this. I just don't see without outside factors, without injuries, without things going his way. I just don't see him winning it outright, like just being the best quarterback in camp and winning the job. So, I mean, look, he was the best quarterback on the field on Friday after Cam got hurt. I don't think anybody would that would uh disagree with that. And at the end of the day, the best quarterback's gonna play. Right. I'd like to think that's what it's gonna come down to. Now, the issue with, with Stidham is that was one practice. And not only does he have to be better than Cam Newton and Mac Jones, you know, where Cam's starting from a level ground. Max may be starting a little bit in the negative just by being a rookie. Stidham has to overcome everything from last year. And the struggles from last year and the, it, you know, not being able to win the job last year. So he's got a long way to go, probably a longer way than the other quarterbacks on the roster. But, and I'm not saying this is going to happen. If he practices like that between now and week one, and, and he's doing that in training camp and he's leading the ones up and down the field in 11s and all of that, then yeah, we need to have that serious discussion. Is there any reason to believe that will happen? I don't know. Anybody can get hot. Anybody can have one day and get hot and look good. Let's see him do it again and again and again, and then we can start to talk about it. He had the one good day, and it deserves to be mentioned, absolutely. You know, 
we ripped the kid. <laughs> we we ripped the kid enough that when he has a good day, right. we should give, we should give him his props. But it was one good practice as he's entering what his third year in the league. Uh, let let's see him kind of string them together now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and someone made, brought up a good point that I just wanted to address quickly about the Patriots, like picking plays to to help Mac. Jo- uh, excuse me, Jared Siddham's trade value. Right, like, like knowing that what they're gonna run is gonna work against a certain coverage, so Jared Siddham looks good. I, I think that's a little Maybe. bit, it's a little <laughs> bit conspiracy theory-ish, but the two throws that he made that everybody's talking about as like the wow plays at practice, were those two in-breaking routes where the Patriots ran what's called a dagger concept, right? The, the inside receiver runs a vertical clear-out route. The outside receiver runs the deep dig in inside there. And the vertical route, typically, especially against zone coverage, will clear out the middle of the defense and present that dig route to the, as the sort of one option, number one option on that progression for the QB. And that's what he ran twice. He makes that throw to Isaiah Zuber. They came back to it later against Jacoby Myers. I'm not going to go full conspiracy theory and say that they're calling plays to make sure that Jared Siddham looks good in front of the media because I don't know if that's necessarily true. But they did call plays in both those instances that work really well against the coverage that they faced. And maybe they ran the same plays with Mac Jones and he just didn't make the throw. You know, I really have to go back and be able to watch the tape, which we obviously don't have the benefit of. But that, right. those two coverages that they ran it against one was uh three one was cover four a, a dagger concept against those types of coverages is is a usually a pretty big call for josh mcdaniels you know that's you're playing a very heavy quarters based or zone coverage team he's going to call a lot of those types of plays because he knows that the clear out route's going to work and he knows the dagger and in, in the uh, in cut is going to work and and that's how you coordinate that's how you play call right so it is an interesting theory of you know how much hype do they want to get out about Jared Stidham and maybe pushes him up a little bit no one knows other than what we report now at this point of how anybody looks right and I know it's not coming from the team so it'd be really interesting to see how good he looks and if I can correlate it to anything to do with the play calling I never really thought of that because again it's like kind of full-blown conspiracy but it is fun to think I mean I I look like I'm hosting conspiracy theory podcast right now you know like I, I got to tell you, this guy's Trader Joe's makes their parking lot smaller than they need to be, so the stores look fuller. Like that's you know, that's my that's my super low rent conspiracy theory. Let, let's talk about some of these other players on offense. Yeah, who else are you looking to to see out on Thursday? Who are you excited to watch? Is there anybody that caught your eye last week that you want to see if they can stack it together? You know, anything like that. Well, Stidham, uh, you know, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of eyes on, on Stidham on Thursday. I don't know if he'll be there because he hasn't been. I'm really excited to see Ramondre Stevenson whenever we finally get a shot to see him. I, I he's It's funny. He's been in pictures at some of these OTA practices, but he hasn't been at the media ones. So, and I think Ivan Fear said last week he was dealing with some minor injury or something. But uh, th- that's the guy I'm really juiced up to see, especially after last week and seeing Nelson Aguilar, seeing Kendrick Bourne, you know, uh, Hunter Henry, some of these new guys. Those were at the top of my list. But now that we're past that, I'm the more I I look into Ramondre Stevenson and the more I watch him, and then we heard Ivan Fears talk about him, Josh McDaniels talk about him. I'm really, really, really excited about the potential that this kid has. I think they might have truly found something. I said this when they picked him. The Patriots haven't had a true three-down back in a while, 
right? Uh, you know, maybe since Corey Dillon, like a true, true three down back. I think Stevenson might have that potential. And that's really exciting to me. The guy who's 6'1", 250, can move like he can, can catch the ball like he can, can block like he can. They can get really creative with that kind of player. So I don't, I, I don't think we're going to see him till minicamp just because it, you know, that's not inside information. If we haven't seen him yet, I don't think we will, but that's a guy I can't wait to watch personally. Yeah, I'm actually going to stick with the running backs and, and go with J.J. Taylor because okay. he, he has looked good in practice, no doubt about that. But the problem that I have with J.J. Taylor and hyping him up in these practices is there's no contact, right? You're, you can't hit anybody. Right. And when you have a running back that's a five foot five, five foot six, whatever, I think they list him at like 5'8", but I, I don't think he's actually 5'8". When he's that much of a jitterbug, right, and he's that quick and he's that fast and he's that explosive – these are where you shine, right? This is, there's helmets and shorts and, and jerseys on. There's no pads. There's no contact. There's no jamming a, a running back out of the backfield. There's no running over a running back and blitz pickup. You know, there's nothing like that at all. So yeah, he's going to look great in June. He's a June player, JJ Taylor, right? He's a preseason right. player. Quite, you know, as well, you know, he's a guy that you put him out there against the threes and the fours of an opponent in the third quarter of a preseason game, and he's going to absolutely ball out against those guys because he's too talented to go up against those players. So what I want to see out of J.J. Taylor is, is he going to continue to just be so impressive in shorts that we have to give him credit for it heading into camp? And what kind of role can he carve out for himself in this offense? Because those Rex, as much as we think that Ramondre Stevenson is going to step into that Rex Burkhead role, those Rex Burkhead snaps are available. James White is getting longer in the tooth every single year, and they only signed him to a one-year deal. So that door is ajar right now for J.J. Taylor. And like like we just talked about with the quarterbacks, right, experience is key. Taylor doesn't have a ton, right, played three games last year, four games last year, but yeah. he's he's got more experience than Stevenson. He's got a whole year, a whole camp, right, a whole, you know, practices, all of that. So, yeah, I you know, I'm hardly – I still think Taylor's the fourth back over Stevenson just because of the way they treat running backs historically. But, yeah, that role, that role, that role's there if he can take it. The juice is noticeable with him, and it was noticeable when he got into games last year as well, right? So this isn't something that we're just talking about at practice. When he played last year and got those opportunities early on in the season, uh, the Raiders game I think stands out the most. He has some explosiveness. He's got some juice. He's got some ability to do some different things. He can return kicks even or punts potentially as well, so that's another role. The player that he often gets compared to, because Ivan Fears went this direction, was Deion Lewis. I wonder if he can sort of be the Patriots' Darren Sproles a little bit, you know, as someone that can do it on special teams. Deion did return kickoffs, I guess, so that, you know, he did have that role down pat as well. But it it, it comes down to Darren Sproles for his size was a great pass blocker. That's yeah. what J.J. Taylor, and we haven't seen him do a ton of it. I'm not saying he can't, but it's very difficult, right? J.J. Taylor is, what, 5'7", and he's got to block, you know, Vaughn Miller coming flying off the edge or whoever. Right. That's, you know, that that's what it's going to come down to for him. I think if he can prove to be a capable pass blocker, there's going to be a significant role for him because he seems like he can handle the rest of the responsibilities. But that's, you know, that's a big, yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a lot he's got he's to work on and get good at, and I'm not saying he can't. But we won't know until probably the preseason, even in training camp sometimes. It's hard to see some of that stuff with the blocking, right? right. We, we may not know until we see him in a preseason game where he's at in pass pro. 
Yeah, and that's the main thing to me is, look, it's great that he looks great out there right now, and it's great that he's going to be this player that when there's no contact and you're just running around out there in shorts, he's definitely noticeable, and it's palpable that he's playing very well out there and he's making progress and all these types of things. But to me, if I see it on Thursday, if I see it in minicamp, it will definitely be uh, at the top of my list to look at once we actually put the pads on and real football begins. Can he continue it then? then maybe I'll get excited about J.J. Taylor. Right now I kind of feel like this is a conversation in June that we're having because J.J. Taylor is quick and he's fast and he's elusive and he's explosive and nobody can touch him. So So, that's sort of where I'm at right now with it. So so somebody brought up in the chat, and this is a good point, you know, if he puts the weight on, he can block. And that's not incorrect. But you have to be able to put a, the weight on and keep your speed and keep your elusiveness and keep your balance, and that's not always easy. That's why not, like, he doesn't have a huge frame, right? He right. doesn't have a lot of, of size to put that weight on. That, that's why I like Devonta Smith, right? Maybe slipped a little bit yeah. in the draft because is he going to be as fast? Is he going to be as agile when he puts that weight on? You know, so it's 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 not as simple as saying put muscle on your better blocker. You still got to be able to do everything else. Again, not yeah. saying he can't do it, but this is – this is always a tricky one. When you get a player like that, when you're looking at this kind of situation, it can be a little tricky. Okay, let's talk about the defense. This is something yeah. that I'm really excited about because they made all these signings in free agency. They really rebuilt that front seven after the draft as well with the Barmore and Ronnie Perkins picks. And although, again, grain of salt, OTAs, all that kind of stuff, we are starting to see – it kind of translate onto the field in just terms of depth in bodies, right? So Matt Judon returns to practice this week, and that picture that they posted on Patriots.com of Judon, Van Noy, and Josh Uche, that's sort of when the light bulb went off in my head where I'm like, wow, that's only three of their linebackers, right? Like then you throw Dante Hightower, then you throw Chase Winovich, and we keep on going down the line. This group is reminiscent, at least on paper again, of the boogeyman. Right, uh, of the 2019 Patriots linebacking corps. I don't know if they'll be as good as that group was, but that's sort of where it took me because it's just like, wow, those three guys are all studs. Uh, and as long as Uche develops the way that we think he's going to, and right. that's only half of the guys that we can, that we can really sink our teeth to and describe. This is going to be a really, really deep defense. And this defense, I think, has a chance to be top five in the league and the metrics that matter with Bill Belichick scheming it up and game planning and with the talent that they have now in the front seven. Oh, they, they should be top five. I think this team has to, you know, even with what they did adding the tight ends, this team's going to win games defensively. This team's going to sink or swim based on what the defense does. You mentioned the linebackers. You know, I talked about before, you can't look at the wide receivers without the tight ends. With the linebackers, you know, that's not even talking about who they added up front, who they added on the defensive line, Devon Godshaw, Henry Anderson, bringing back Dietrich Wise, Lawrence Guy, yeah. uh, the draft picks up front, Christian Barmore. So this I, I, this is going to be a really special defensive unit. I would say, though, let's not call them the boogeyman. I think there's negative no, association with that. I think Chris Sale also got that nickname today. So I don't know if you saw that. We, have, we can come up with a better nickname. There's going to be – there's and, and it's got – I think the whole front seven really deserves to be a nickname, the way they've built this team. Because you have a lot of guys, whether it's Judon, whether it's Uche, whether it's Winovich, uh, who I think are going to kind of be hybrids and are going to be used as both linebackers and yeah. defensive linemen, edge players. And I think that's where a lot of the danger comes from. I know this is a, a negative memory for a lot of Patriots fans, but I try not to bring this up. I'm going to. 
it reminds me a little bit of the Giants NASCAR defense. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that all those guys were talented. And of course they had a ton of talent up there, right? But they could all play all over the place. And you had to, when you got to the line, every play, take note of where everybody was because no two players were in the same space on back-to-back snaps. And it just adds to that efficiency. It makes the defense that much more lethal. I think that, you know, certain guys are going to play in certain spots. You're not playing Devon Gacha anywhere other than the nose, right? But I think, right, a guy like Matthew Judon can probably play three or four spots. Chase Winovich can play three, four, five spots. Uh, Josh Uche could play a couple spots. I think when they start moving those guys around, and you'll see that more as the season goes on, right? They'll have a look. Teams start to figure it out. Then they move the pieces around. They refresh it. It's going to, you know, what the boogeymen couldn't do. The boogeymen, their first iteration, they played seven, eight, nine games, and people figured it out, and they fell apart. I think this defense is going to be able to refresh itself and throw new looks at an offense during the course of a game, during the course of a season. And other than the raw talent, the versatility, I think, excites me just as much. Yeah, last year because but mostly because of newness of the players, I think, but because of a lot of different factors, all the blitzing and the amoeba fronts and the cover zero, all that stuff went out the window. And the Patriots, they zigged when everybody thought that they were sticking to zag. When they come out with these cover zeros, they come out with the amoeba fronts, and everybody sort of caught on to it, I would say. And so what the Patriots did is they started running eight-man coverages and seven-man coverages and dropping everybody. And these quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson just picked them apart, right? They, they just picked the coverages apart because there was no pass rush. So now I really think the Patriots are going to hopefully get back to attacking. And that's what I want to see out of this defense this year because they have all these options. They have all these bodies. They have all this versatility, all this athleticism now at that level of the D. Let, let's get back into attack mode because I think that that's the capability that this defense has is – Similar to what we did on offense, who's the defensive player that you're looking at? Who's somebody that caught your eye or you're hoping is going to catch your eye again on Thursday? So I I don't know. I'm going to go a little kind of around the question. I'm still very intrigued at what they're doing at outside corner. Yeah, I was going to go there but, But the position, right? I mean, Stephon Gilmore, we don't know what's going to happen with him. J.C. Jackson is probably the most secure in that spot. But they don't have a ton of depth. At outside corner no. right now, right? They lose Jason McCourty, and now you're down to uh, Juwan, uh, Juwan Williams is probably the favorite for that third outside corner job. Yeah. Does not have a ton of experience. Uh, then you go to Michael Jackson, who you, yeah. we don't really know what he is. And then you're talking about moving Jalen Mills in from safety, I think, would be the fifth on that depth chart. And if, I, if I'm missing somebody, correct me, but I believe no. it would be the fifth on that depth chart. We know they worked out Drake Kirkpatrick. He, he just took a visit, visit with the Saints, so I don't think that's happening, but... Uh, they got, you know, slot corner, they're great. And I, you know, some people are going to say, what about Jonathan Jones? What about Miles, uh, uh, Miles Bryant? Different positions, really. You're not going to put Jonathan Jones one-on-one man coverage on the outside, right? With a guy like, I'll just say Julio Jones. We were talking about him, but that elite X outside receiver, uh, they need another guy there. They do. Even if Gilmore comes back and Jackson comes back, those guys probably aren't going to play 16, 17 games. You're going to want to spell those guys. You're going to want to keep those guys rested. So that that's the big thing to me is does Juwan Williams look like he's ready to make that year three jump? He was a second-round pick. Does he look ready to step into that role? Is Michael Jackson a find? I mean, you know, wouldn't be he's the first time they, it wouldn't be the first time they found a corner out of nowhere. He was at least a yeah. seventh-round pick. Some of these guys are UDFAs, but – uh, you know, I don't think I, I think that's the most understated element to this roster right now is what's going on at the outside corner spot. We talk so much about the wide receivers. I think it's the biggest hole on the team right now is 
there, everybody talks about trading Stephon Gilmore, and there's a little bit of chatter about maybe trading JC Jackson if they want to extend Gilmore. If you trade one of those two guys, we're like, we're approaching 09 to 2011 territory with that secondary, right? Where you're playing right. Lee Bottins and all, and, and, and all these guys out there. Yeah, right. Like, we don't want that again, right? No, nobody wants that again. So the real question is, after we've seen these practices with OTAs and Jawan Williams and Michael Jackson are your two basically starting outside corners at these OTA practices because Gilmore and Jackson aren't there, it really puts into perspective how thin they are behind those guys with just proven NFL talent. So I, I don't think they're done there. I, I think they're going to have to use some of that cap space that they have to either sign somebody that's currently a free agent who's a veteran, you know, the, the Chad, Richard Sherman, I've already sort of said that I, I don't know about Richard Sherman. You mentioned Drake Kirkpatrick. I, I thought he out. would have been the perfect guy. I really thought that was a fit. I was surprised that, that, that he got away. And maybe this doesn't happen until an injury in camp happens or a resolution with Stephon Gilmore happens. And maybe that's when they sort of make the decision of what they're going to do at corner. But if you go into the season, and even if they keep Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, if you go into the season, are you prepared for Jawan Williams to be your top backup at outside corner? If one of those two guys goes down, he's going to play significant snaps. Is he ready for that? I think right now, I mean – Jason McCourty played 60-something percent of the snaps right. last year, and I know some of that was at safety, but, you know, forget one of those guys going down. I think right now, Juwan Williams is playing significant snaps. If the Unless they season put Jalen Mills in that role, right? Like, and, and unless Jalen Mills is that guy who I think plays I'd honestly the rather Williams. McCourty role. I think I'd honestly rather Williams. I, think I, Jaylen, I don't disagree necessarily. So, I, you know, I think Jalen Mills has shown that, that he's going to be an impact as a safety. You know, maybe if Patrick Chung's still here, I feel differently. Um, yeah, but you know, that's another spot, deep safety, second safety guys who have experience playing, you know, 15, 20 yards back at the NFL level right now, it's Devin McCourty and Adrian Colbert and that's it. And Kyle Duggar's done it in college. And I know you're a huge fan of kind of bringing him back into that role. And I'm not saying he can't do it, but he hasn't really done it at the NFL level. So the secondary at the top is still elite. Stephon yeah. Gilmore, JC Jackson, Devin McCourty, that's as good of a group as you're going to find, but you know, for the past couple of years, there's been so much depth behind those guys, and that depth's kind of quietly trickled out. And I think we're we're, we're starting to see it a little bit here. And I'm interesting to I'm interested to see how they address it. I think they'll address it. I don't think they'll go into the season with this group. It, it, maybe it's something. You know, maybe they wait until roster cuts, and it's somebody who gets cut, and you have the 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 staggered cuts are back now, so you're not going right from 90 to 53. I think it's 90 to 80 yeah. to 75 to 53, something like that. But um, I, they, they're going to need to add players in the secondary. They are. It's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation because I think we just get so caught up in the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. And you and I have been talking about corner going back to the draft. They need to draft a corner and not, not to get on, on the Belichick draft record sort of conversation, but Jawan Williams is supposed to be that guy. Right. They drafted Jawan Williams in the second round for this purpose. Right. For knowing that that, Stephon Gilmore, Jason McCourty, these guys' time was coming up, right? And they knew that they needed to start to look to the future, and that's why they made Juwan, the Juwan Williams pick a top 50 corner. They they made that pick looking towards the future of that 
position. If he's not ready to do it, then that's a disappointing sort of outcome, certainly. And I, I think Michael Jackson's like a nice camp story, right? I'm sure we'll write about right. him in training camp and we'll say, oh, he's had a nice camp. And this, Michael Jackson. There, there is, will be puns. There will be puns. It won't be that simple. There will be yeah. a ton of puns. Oh, yeah. Michael Jackson is a fourth or a fifth corner at best. Right, like that. He's no offense to Michael Jackson, but if you're putting Michael okay. Jackson out there as your starting corner, again, we're talking about Lee Bodden, we're talking about Hank Boat. You know, we're back in that territory. Right. I mean, look, I'm not going to write him off totally. I'm not right. because they've shown they can identify talent at that position from anywhere. J.C. Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Jonathan Jones, Cravon LeBlanc. These are all NFL corners who they they found undrafted. Jackson was a draft pick, his seventh round pick. They traded for him. Um, so I'm not totally going to write him off. But at the same, they got him from Detroit. I see there in the comments. Um, yeah. At the same time, you know, yeah, they can find these guys, but not every guy they find is a hit. I'm not going to bank on this guy becoming something. I'd like to see them hedge their bets. I, I think if you just brought in a veteran, just just to play it safe, and maybe Juwan Williams emerges, maybe Michael Jackson emerges, but I'd like to have a veteran option just in case they don't. I, I think that you know that safety blanket would keep, be helpful. Yeah, I hate to keep banging this drum, but th- this is because Juwan Williams is not panning out. Right, like they, 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 you he, have to call it for what it is because has he not panned out. Like I, I can't say he hasn't panned out because I haven't seen him play poorly. I, I haven't, haven't I, seen him play. I haven't. I can't say he hasn't panned out yet. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. But if they have to go and make a move, or let's say they have to end up letting Stephon Gilmore hit free agency because they need to hang on to him this year, and the best that they can do is get that third round pick back, or maybe they don't even get a third round comp pick back because they spend some more money next off season. Th- that's going to be because Juwan Williams is supposed to be that guy and they missed on that pick. I but mean, at the same time, I, we're still talking about potentially missing on that pick. Right. right? But I, 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 we I, haven't gotten fully there yet, but you have to call for what it is. But that's also half the picture. Why didn't he get a chance to play? Because he's high behind Stephon Gilmore. Because he's high behind J.C. Jackson. He's been behind yeah. great players. That's why it's an unfortunate situation. I don't know that, you know, I, I don't know that they made a mistake. Because again, the reason he didn't, I, did, did they, when they made that pick, did they plan on JC Jackson being the player he is? Or did they think that that was going right. to be Juwan Williams playing opposite Stephon Gilmore? Were they going to turn yeah. him into a safety? And I know, that's the thing that they Kyle do Douglas. to you, right? So, that's the thing right. they do to you. They take a, an undrafted guy, turns into a pro bowler, so the second round pick busting doesn't matter, right? So, you know, so that's, 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 that's what ends up happening when you're well, the Patriots. So that's why I'm saying this is such a huge camp. For yeah. Juwan Williams, because he hasn't really had that chance to show that he can be that guy, and it's it's unfair. You'd like to see him get to prove it in games in the regular season, you know, with yeah. actual stakes. He's not going to get that chance. The best he's going to have is this training camp in this preseason, and it, he's got to make the most of it. If he does, and he turns out great, and it's going to be awesome until he's a free agent in a year, and you're saying, "Wow, that contract flew by." They had this good player; he only played for a year. But I, I just, I have trouble calling the Juwan Williams pick a bust. I have it's trouble not a saying bust they yet. blew that pick. I'm not saying it's a bust yet. I'm not saying they blew the pick yet. I'm saying right. that if Juwan Williams can't play, if they feel like he can't play, and they had to do all these other things, all these gymnastics right. to get around the fact that they made that pick and he can't play. Then we have to talk about the well. Pick, what I'm right? saying now, we're going to find out because he's. He, we didn't know if he could play because he's been stuck behind all these guys, right? He's not and stuck now, anymore. He's not. He's not stuck behind Jason McCourty. Gilmore might not be there in camp. Now, now it, it, you know, it's put up or shut up. Now, now the 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 training wheels are coming off. The blinders yeah. are coming off. We're going to see no more protecting him. We're going to see exactly what he is. Probably it's not until training both. camp, but we're going to see. 
it's, it's true for both guys that got drafted in the top of that draft for the Patriots. Nikhil Harry's in the same boat, right? Like, was, oh, I, I don't know that Nikhil, who was Nikhil Harry really buried behind? No, no, no. He wasn't buried behind anybody. I'm just saying it's put up or shut up time. Put up or shut up. Yeah. Like different, yeah. different, different, different circumstances. situation. Yes. Sure. But I, I would agree with you. It's put up or, yeah. Yeah. That's a good I point. mean, I there's no more, there's no more excuses anymore for either one of those guys. And, uh, and uh, it, it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to sit here and, and like everybody else and, and lambase Belichick for all these bad drafts as yeah. Atlas has decided to Atlas does now. not like the take. No, we're we're 53 minutes into the show, so we almost made it without Alice freaking out. So that that's pretty good. Um, do you want to take some questions here to round this out, and and then we'll uh, we'll call it a night. Oh, oh, we we lost we lost Alex to the power outage once again. So we'll we'll take some questions. Hopefully, we'll get Alex back here in a few minutes, and we can uh, we can include him in the chat here. He, hopefully, he uh, figures that away. I love how it's just frozen on his face, just like that. That that's great. Hopefully, some of you uh, were able to screen grab that. So just go ahead and ask some questions, Alex. Hopefully, figure out a way to get back in here and. Uh, Let's just start with some of these uh, ones that we got earlier in the show, and then uh, we can work our way down. Um, now i got to scroll back. Uh, Damian Harris, there's a good question here about him being uh, the top running back. Now, the Patriots are always a team that does it by committee, committee anyways. So, oh, there's Alex. Mr. Power, back. Mr. Power out. Outage is back. Well, the power's already out. I, that was probably just my phone or something. I don't know. But okay, yeah, so take some questions, gonna, tell some ghost stories. There you go. So uh, the question that I was just about to answer was about Damian Harris and, and being RB1. And, and I sort of caveated it with saying the Patriots never truly have an RB1, right? Like they most of the time, unless they get like a Corey Dillon type, uh, they're right. rotating through a bunch of guys. But do you still feel like Damian Harris is the favorite to have the most carries at the end of the year, obviously barring injury or anything like that? Uh no, just so here's why. It's not because I don't believe in him as a player. I think the Patriots have a tendency when running backs are in the last year of their deal to capitalize on that being the last year, right? I think sometimes they know these guys, and, and look, this this sounds kind of heartless, but it's a business. They know these guys aren't coming back. They're not too worried about, the you know, weighing on the future and, you know, what the workload means for two, three, four years down the road. And Sony's in the last year of his deal, and I think they're going to take advantage of that. So, I think Harris is going to get a significant number of carries. I'm not saying they're going to bench Damian Harris or anything. He's going to be a regular part of the offense, but we've seen them do this in the past with running backs, where when it's a guy's last year, they they get every drop out of him they can, and I think we're going to see that with Sony. Yeah, I, that's a great point. You know, Sony is on the last year of his contract. It does feel like a year where you just sort of get the most out of him. Whatever's left in the tank, the Patriots are going to want to get out of him, right? And uh, I still think Damon Harris is the best pure ball carrier on the I would roster. agree. Without yeah. seeing Ramondre Stevenson, who might be in that conversation eventually, but just in terms of pure put the ball in his hands, what can he do after that burst, vision, elusiveness, uh, power, contact balance, I would say, is more than elusiveness, I guess. Uh, those things, I think Damon Harris is still the best all-around back the Patriots have in terms of pure ball carrier. So uh, I still think that he's going to be the favorite. I think he's still going to be the guy that should get most of the carries. But you're right. I, I think there's going to be a pretty heavy split there between him and, and Sony Michelle just because of all the reasons that you mentioned that. Uh, Dan Vitale did something that I don't think I've ever seen anybody do before. He announced his retirement via LinkedIn uh, the other night. Are you serious? I am dead serious. <laughs> he, 
He posted on his LinkedIn that he's looking for a change, that his body has given out on him with football, and he's in the market for another profession, uh, announcing his retirement via LinkedIn. And uh, are you surprised that Dan Vitale is never going to play in a Patriot uniform? And I think secondly to that, the most important question, these guys had opted out, and I think Hightower, Bolden, or maybe the two guys left that Lacoste, Lacoste as well. So there's yeah. three. Um, is this concerning about these guys that have sat out an entire year? Gerard Mayo talked about it with Dante Hightower. Ramping it back up after you've been on your couch for an entire year is, is difficult. It's not like it's an injury where you're having something that you're motivated by, right? Or you're doing right. rehab and you're still in the heartbeat of the whole thing. Uh, this, this is a completely different away from the facility, it's hard to ramp it back up after a year sitting around. Yeah, uh, I, I know that I'm not surprised he's never going to play for the team. Uh, I, I didn't think, la- like last year when they signed him, they signed him kind of later in the process, and I was wondering, you know, I thought he might be a fringe roster guy, especially after they drafted Izzo. Certainly would have been interesting. Retiring on LinkedIn is amazing. I love that. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, as for the opt-outs, I, 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 think they're, I, I think they're selling it a little short. I think there is some motivation to come back. I, you know, a lot of these guys, and we heard it, and by the way, this is not true by any means. I hated people who had this take, but remember last year, people were calling these guys soft. They were calling them quitters. They were calling them out. And again, awful take, awful take. These guys have legitimate reasons for opting out. Don't fault them for it, but they heard it. I'm sure they heard it, and I'm sure they didn't like it. I don't think, if you're Donta Hightower and somebody calls you soft, Dante Hightower is not exactly – he might be at the bottom of my list when you talk about yeah. talk. He's certainly, you know. So I, I, I think there is there is still some motivation to come back. Sitting on the couch I also think is a bit strong. You'd like to think these – you know, they stayed in shape and did what they could. But I think there is an element of, you know, look, I, I, I was – it's not exactly the same thing. It's a little bit of apples and oranges. But I'm somebody who has worked seven days a week week since I was 18 pretty much. I got laid off during the pandemic. Not that, you know, this works incredibly just, but I've been, you know, doing pretty much seven days a week. I got laid off. I sat on my ass and played GTA for 10 hours a day. It was a little weird coming back and coming back to, you know, working in sports is a slightly different schedule. Again, not that it's tough, but you generally are doing seven days a week, nights and weekends. And uh, it was a little bit of a grind at first. I'm happy I'm doing it. I'm glad I'm still doing it. But you do kind of think twice about what you're doing. You do kind of think, oh, you know, I've seen the other side now. And, you know, maybe some guys prefer that. I won't fault them for it, but especially yeah, some I think of these guys that have there. made some money, right? Like Dante Hightower's. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying talking Dante, about Hightower. And, yeah, I'm not uh, saying Hightower is retiring. I don't think Hightower is retiring. But you make that kind of money already in your NFL career, and you get back in camp. I, I think the biggest worry that you have with a guy like Hightower is that he gets back into camp and he pulls a Rob Ninkovich, right? Like he gets back here, he realizes, oh wait a second, you know, the body's not responding, right? I'm not, I'm not able to ramp it back up. I'm not able to get to that level again. And I, I think he's going to report. I think he's going to come here with all the intentions in the world to play in 2021. I think the fear that the coaching staff has with him based off of what we've heard from Mayo, even a little bit from Belichick is, is Gerard Mayo or is Dante Hightower's body going to allow him to ramp things back up to, to be the true Dante Hightower again? Or is the year off going to sort of kill that progress, right? And that's the fear that I have with him. I don't have any fear whatsoever with Dante Hightower's intentions to play. I think he has full intentions to play this year. I'd be worried about him getting into camp and, like Ninkovich, recognizing I just don't have it anymore. Well, I I, I, I just don't have it. Right. 
I will say this about Dante Hightower. I, you know, and he's had his injuries, certainly this factors in, but people talk about him like he's an old man. He just turned 31 in March. He's yeah. not, you know, he's hardly a rookie, but 31's not that old. Most players retire around 32, 33, 34. So he should have a year or two left. Again, we don't know how the pandemic affects it, but people are talking about Dante Hightower like he's 45 years old. They're talking about him like he's the Dan Ochara. Like he's 31. He's been one of the, the best pure athletes on the team for, for a long time. I, 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 we need to calm, like, just stop treating him like an old man, basically, is what I'd say. He's younger than you realize. Again, the injuries kind of alter that a little bit, and I get that. Injuries, long He's not an old man. Right, but he's not an old man. A lot of, a lot of tread off those tires, though. You gotta admit that. Sure, you know, no, like, sure. But I, I think, I, when I said that to somebody the other day, I was having this discussion with somebody, and they were like, yeah, well, like, you know, I just don't know. Some guys retire around that age anyway, and they were shocked when I told them he was 31. So I just want to remind people of that. He is 31. All right, let's end it on this one. Uh, okay. I like this question. Not necessarily the biggest Hunter Henry has a great year. You know, Matt Judon has a great right. year. Value. Who is the best contract out of the guys that they sign based off their production? So I will go extreme value here. And I, okay. I, I, I pumped this guy's tires before on the show. I really like Adrian Colbert. I yeah. think he adds something that they need. He can play deep safety. He's a big physical safety, which they like. Uh, I, there is a pretty clear cut role for him on this defense. He's got to make the team and it's competitive there, right? I, you know, there's a role for him, but it's a little bit limited. And would they rather have, you know, another wide receiver, another lineman? But if he makes the team, I think Adrian Colbert could be a sneaky, good, sneaky, useful player. If we're talking about value, if we're talking about bang for your buck, I think Adrian Colbert's going to go a long way. If he's if he can carve out a role, it'll Adrian yeah. Phillips like right. If he can right. if he can find a, a place to play, I think Kendrick Bourne has a really good case for this one. But I'm going to go Henry Anderson. I, okay. I just sort of feel like last year they were so bad against the run last year. I mean, one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. And what they really lacked, they lacked a true nose tackle. Gotcha becomes that. But what they truly really lacked, I thought as well, was a second defensive end to play in base on first down, right? They had Lawrence Guy right. who could play as that strong side four I five technique, but that weak side defensive end role and teams just ran off tackle weak against them a ton. A ton. And what they had out there was an Adam Butler, a Dietrich Wise, and Chase Winovich a lot of the time. And teams just ran off that off-tackle weak side a whole lot, and they got gashed going that direction. So having somebody on the backside like Henry Anderson that has that ability to be stout and hold up at the point of attack and and control his gap or control a double team if they do run at weak side and try to double team and pull a guard or something like that or combo block – Another one of those big-bodied run stuffers I think is going to really pay huge dividends because we talk so much about pass defense. It is the most important thing in the NFL. But what's really difficult about playing pass defense is when you're in second and third and short the entire game because you can't stop the run on first down. So if teams are going from first and ten to second and five consistently because they're getting five yards of pop on the ground, now your your entire repertoire of third and long, blitz packages, zero stuff, all that kind of stuff, you throw it out the door because there's just not enough time to do that. There's not enough opportunities to do that. That's a problem I thought the Patriots ran into last year a whole lot was third and three, third and four. The whole playbook is open for the offense. You can't be as aggressive as you'd like to be on the defensive side of the football. 
that that's that becomes problematic. So stopping the run on first down, making sure that they can stop the run and going to the weak side of the formation off the tackle, that's going to be a huge thing. I think Henry Anderson can really help out with that. All right, so Alex. Uh, can, I, can I add one more because somebody brought yeah, it up in the chat, and it's a really good one, Raekwon McMillan. Signing yeah. I was really high on a guy, was a second-round pick, was a 100-tackle guy as a rookie for the Dolphins. He had a torn ACL. He, I can't remember what the other injury was, but he's dealt with some injuries. But if he's healthy, you know, Juwan Williams in the, uh, sorry, Juwan Bentley in the last year of his deal has some trade value. If McMillan can show there's not much of a drop off. And again, this is where it gets into a tight roster crunch. McMillan's also been a core special teams player for three years. And if, if he can do what Bentley does on defense and play special teams, that's a way to maybe consolidate the roster. Nothing against Juwan Bentley, but it's going to come down to, you know, when you're making this roster, not just how good are the players, but how many different roles can the players play. I think McMillan has a chance to be a key player for this team. So I think it was Robert who brought that up. Great point. Definitely a player to keep an eye on. Can I just go on like a tiny little mini rant before we sign off about this Cam Newton Mastro's BS. I, 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 I would rather Stop. not add fire to it, but if you can, want to go ahead. I want to put the fire out because I just okay. want to say, like, can we please stop believing everybody that was at Mastro's on a Wednesday night and thinks they saw Cam Newton and tweeted about it and has a hundred followers and has no way to confirm it? Like, we, we've been doing this all off season. Like, all these people all off season. Julio Jones, if you go on Twitter and you read some random Twitter account, Julio Jones is a patriot seven times in the last month, right? Like, and it just, it's not about, you know, me saying, oh, I know and they don't know or anything like that. It just stop believing everything that you read on the damn internet. Like, use some common sense and be able to look through some of this stuff. It would really um, behoove a lot of people because this is how rumors get started. This is how people get confirmed stuff that's not true. This is how, you know, things start with Cam. And and I just don't want to see that anymore with Cam. So let's be a little bit uh, more uh, aware of what we're looking at, right? If if I can add something to that, because if we're yeah. going to do this, let's do it. It's not the Julio Jones stuff's different, but when it comes to Cam at Masters, right? Ask yourself this: Cam Newton's a pretty recognizable figure. Yeah, he's he's huge. He's six six, two hundred and fifty pounds. Unless 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 he's buying his offensive line dinner, he's probably the biggest person at any bar or restaurant he's at. I would guess. And then six six, and then if he's got his hair up right, you're pushing seven feet. You think Cam Newton, widely recognized celebrity football player, Cam Newton? could get in a fight in a bar in Boston, and we wouldn't hear about it until four days later, and there'd somehow be no video, no pictures. I don't know that these guys – forget pictures of a fight. How many of these yeah. guys can go out to eat without somebody just saying, hey, can I get a picture with you, or Instagram storing them across the restaurant? If you think Cam could go to a restaurant in Boston, get in a fight, and we wouldn't hear about it, and there'd be no pictures about it, like, again, is, is it impossible? No. I just – in the social media age, that that feels unbelievable to me. So Cam's also a vegan, and Masters is a steakhouse. I just want to put that oh, out there as well. They, they have a good so bar. maybe maybe he's there with friends. I guess they, they, I, will, I don't know. they, they say he's there with brother. I just he enjoys well, a good scotch. They have a good bar. I'll give him credit for that. It's just it, by it's way, dangerous. It's just dangerous that we put get this stuff put out. We there. were there. We were there. He was throwing. We saw him making one handed catches. So yeah. It does. It, 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 the timeline's not there for you if this is what you're trying to claim. The timeline's not there. Because that's the other point that I was going to make too before I ra- end uh, end this rant is that 
the time we we were there and we saw Cam Newton get injured and we saw the hand be a problem and we saw the practice, you know, before that the hand wasn't a problem, then something went down and the hand was a problem. Right. You know what I mean? So right. like, so, so this is not a situation where, where they made this up to, as to cover up, like, let's, let's get, let's stop it with that type of stuff. All right. That, that's all I got to say. All right. And then on Thursday, we will be back on the podcast as this whole time, this free agent uh, question has been up as I'm ranting about this stupid <laughs> uh, Cam Newton stuff. Uh on Thursday, we'll be back on the podcast, hopefully following uh, Alex and I's uh, viewing of OTAs. So we'll assuming have I have power by then. I'm assuming you have power by then. Apparently yeah, the sources are saying there's a down power line here, so we'll see. Oh, great. So we'll hopefully. Wait, I got, you know what? I have this platform, right? Like Big Cat from Barstool goes after uh, airlines. Uh, Eversort. Oh, Eversort. Eversort sucks. Weren't they oh, the yeah. ones who had that whole problem in, in uh, Northern Mass with the explosions and whatever? Ever, yeah. Come on, Eversource. Come on. The storm wasn't that bad. It's over. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. All right. There's my right. Okay, so that on that note, we can sign off until Thursday night. We'll be back then to break down OTAs, uh, preview mini camp, and discuss everything that we saw at practice on Thursday. But thanks so much for joining us tonight, guys. This was a lot of fun, even with Alex in his uh, power outage bunker there that he's in. I know a lot of people are going to watch this on the rewatch and be like, what the heck is going on with Alex? But uh, Alex is fine. He's safe. He is uh, just I'm experiencing a typical New England thunderstorm. It's all good. I'm verified. (laughs) (laughs) An hour and ten minutes before we had to mention that. It was in the Uh, chat somewhere. I'm I'm signing off now, all right? Uh, For Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you Thursday night.